Hello and welcome to Triforce Trends, the podcast where I talk about all things Zelda. If you enjoy the content, please support me by subscribing to the show on whichever app you're listening on. And please don't forget to check out the YouTube channel by searching Triforce Trends. Hello everyone and welcome back to the channel. Breath of the Wild was no doubt a crowning achievement for the Zelda team, and for the newer generations and older generations of fans alike. It brought in new and old fans. These fans may have never played older games and came back for a very new experience. I mean, Zelda games were going in one very different direction before Breath of the Wild's release. They were linear and all told very, very samey stories, with only certain twists really splitting them up. That is not to say those games were not good, I still prefer quite a few of those linear games to Breath of the Wild, but that is exactly what I'm here to discuss today. Breath of the Wild is a great game for so many different reasons in its own right compared to previous Zelda games. I mean, a lot of people know it as their favourite open world game, and while Breath of the Wild and Red Dead Redemption 2 do tussle for that first spot for me personally, Breath of the Wild is still very far up there, and being a Zelda fan even before this game, that's probably one of the main reasons why I love it so much. It's so different to any game before it. Open world, the variety in things to do, it's open format in design feeling like the original Zelda on the NES. The more realistic aspects, like stamina, the new way the game dealt with heart containers and even things like fire swords melting ice and stuff like that. For a Zelda game it was fairly realistic and not to mention most of the side content was actually pretty fun and worthwhile. Don't worry, we'll talk about Korok Seeds later. Now when we compare Breath of the Wild to the old Zelda games, there are a lot that the sequel to Breath of the Wild can take from previous installments, and that along with general improvements in the game's design will take the forefront in this video. So let's get into some flaws that Breath of the Wild 2 needs to fix, and how I personally believe that they could fix them. Before this video even begins, let me know in the comments what are a few flaws in Breath of the Wild that you hope are built upon in the next game. Maybe you even think that Breath of the Wild is a perfect game, let me know in the comments. And if you enjoy this video, please do subscribe as it really helps me out. So let's get into it. My first and biggest flaw with Breath of the Wild that I've expressed distaste for numerous times in the past are the dungeons and bosses. Now, not every boss or dungeon in this game is horrible though, not by any means. We'll get into why I think these are flawed first though. In previous Zelda games, every single dungeon in the games had a very strong thematic identity upon first entering them, not just a strong thematic identity when you look at them, from the outside. When you entered a dungeon set in the forest in the previous games, you were well aware that you were deep into a forest, isolated and alone, unless there is some, you know, wildlife to help you out. When you entered a massive cave that's around a giant volcano, you were well aware since all around you was a stunning amount of fire, whether it be Dodongo's Cavern, the Goron Mines, the Fire Temple, Fire Sanctuary, Dragon Roost, or even something as vague as the Earth Temple. All of these are very clear on where you are very quickly. The main things that used to make a dungeon's atmosphere was the music, visuals, obstacles set before you, and other puzzles. So as soon as you entered each of the dungeons, it was abundantly clear, even if you weren't looking, where you were. However, let's dart back to Breath of the Wild for a second. These all have strong visual identities externally, they all look vastly different. They walk or fly around certain areas in the map, enticing you to come closer, and it's obvious what kind of theming each beast is gonna be, too. Valrudania is walking around Death Mountain, so it's clear that it should be the Fire Dungeon. Varuta should be the Water Dungeon, I mean it's set right next to Zora's Domain. And it is, in a sense. More on that soon. Vanaboris is walking around in a desolate desert, and Varmeadow is flying around in the sky. Now the thing is, it's really hard for me to count out any of these dungeons. They all try and set across a theme, I just don't think it hit. 
Van Meadow is supposed to be the sky sort of dungeon, and sure, you can tilt the beast, and it's also kind of cool when you have to be dangled on a gondola to get to the next bit of the dungeon above the land below, and there are a couple of wind-based puzzles, but that's really it. And that's my biggest issue with all of these dungeons. These are all so close to what I want that it hurts to see they just miss the target. Varuta does a few water-based puzzles. The start of Rudania is about fire, and Vanabaris probably comes just as close as Van Meadow for me down to its heavy pushing on the electricity theming. But I know one of my issues is just how bland the inside looks, especially when all the shrines look the same too. Let's move this along a bit quicker though, these dungeons were also shorter and contain less combat. So the lowdown is more theming, more combat, and that's really it. I mean, throwing all of this into the Hyrule Castle format of dungeons would make the next game for me. As already mentioned, I'll talk very quickly on bosses since I droned on about dungeons for so long, and I have a couple more things to talk about today. The combat system, specifically for bosses in Breath of the Wild, was fantastic. It was much more like a Dark Souls or Monster Hunter boss fight, with much more ease sprinkled into it, and that amount of ease would have been just fine if you were not able to knock these bosses down with a flick of an arrow. A single arrow to the eye knocks these colossal monsters down and makes these bosses a cakewalk. I would say don't let the player wail on the bosses this easily, otherwise they were fine fights in my opinion, and Thunderblight especially came close for me since it was much, much harder to hit them with arrows. However, just as the dungeon suffered, the bosses also suffer for the theming aspects that I care for so much in these games. Specifically speaking, every single main boss of each dungeon is Ganon in some form, whether it be Wind Blight, Fire Blight, Water Blight, Thunder Blight, or the final bosses. They were all just kind of the same. Without different powers and names, these bosses would be pretty hard to differentiate. To do the same thing I did for dungeons in this case, let's compare some bosses. We'll do one for each of the themes that have been used before in Zelda games. Water Blight, a water-themed boss set in a room above, well, water, though you can thrash around in it in the second half of the fight. There are quite a few I could use here, but I'll take out some such as Georg and Morpheal since you're underwater for those fights and that'd give them an unfair advantage. That leaves us with Morpha from the Water Temple and I guess you could make a call for Tantalus, but I can't do that. Even if Morpha is weird and really underwhelming, fighting water with a mind of its own does have a strong thematic identity. You cannot deny that. Fire Blight, a fire-themed boss, there have been a bajillion of these, but I think that the two that it seems fair to compare it to are Scaldera or King Dodongo, a massive lizard or a ball of fire. Again, they have very strong thematic personalities. Thunder Blight might be an exception, and I applaud it for doing a different theme and it actually being a fairly fun fight, so kudos there. Finally, we have Wind Blight, and this feels like the easiest one that could have been improved. Imagine fighting a dragon like Argorok without the weaknesses that Argorok had. It feels so much like a genuine threat that it would work spectacularly as a boss fight, especially with the new and improved, for the most part, combat. But I guess we'll see if the bosses are improved in future. I will say though that Monk Maskosha is quite a good boss and is by far the best in the game with his own theming, and actually having some sense of lore behind him. I'm hoping more bosses are like this in the next game, with full on duels with other monsters or even people. Next up is the Korok seeds, and I feel like everybody under the sun has complained about the Koroks in some capacity, but I really don't have too many problems with them. I just have one pretty big flaw with them, and that is that there is absolutely no reason to collect them past a certain point in the 300s, and let's not forget that there are 900 of these Korok seeds, meaning that there are around 550 of these that just aren't used for anything in particular. They're just kind of there, and who could forget that when you collect all these Korok seeds, what do you get? A giant turd for all your troubles. Thanks Alnuma for your support on me, just about 100% in your brand new game that took me 188 hours to 100% without even really looking around and just beelining it to the important areas. I'll make sure to do it next time. 
Now, seriously though, something that you can't even use and that just serves as a flex to others really seems like a crappy reward for something like this. At least finishing all shrines had two positives. One, you're given all heart containers and stamina vessels, except for the two that are left, but never mind. And you're also given a sweet armor set that old fans would love and that could maybe be used again in the next game. When you get all 900 Korok seeds, you're given effectively nothing. Even giving you something as small as an unbreakable bow or something straight from the Deku Tree's bark that had a ton of damage would have been nice. Nothing at all felt like a bit of an oversight. So if the Zelda team wants us to explore their open world for an alternative to Korok seeds next time, they definitely need to give us an incentive to, otherwise only the hardcore completionists will do it. The final flaw that I'll discuss today is something I guess some will say isn't a flaw but more of just a design choice, and it would be the inability to fully submerge in water, not being able to see what lay at the bottom of Lake Hylia, or underneath Zora's domain, or even to just explore ruins that lay underneath water, is just kind of sad. I feel like I was always wanting to get an item so that I'd be able to travel underwater. It's not so much a flaw with the original game, but it definitely detracted from the immersive open experience. Being able to go underwater and the world be fully open to explore would have made all the difference to me. And as long as the swimming wasn't slow, it also suck up a load of my time in the game since I'm a massive advocate for underwater exploration. I will admit that in Breath of the Wild it could have been hard in some areas such as even Tide Island since it would just be a massive open ocean around those areas and it's hard to populate things like that with little explorable bits. But it's definitely a talking point that I hope the designers of the next game have at least had a discussion about already for the next game's design. Now I have a lot of flaws with Breath of the Wild including the rain mechanic and gyro puzzles but that's my list for today. If this video does particularly well I could definitely upload a second part in the future though so we'll see. As stated at the start of the video, leave your flaws with Breath of the Wild and how you want them fixed in the sequel in the comments below and I'll get around to looking at each and every comment posted. Thank you all so much for watching this video. If you enjoyed then please do support me by leaving a like rating and subscribing. The people you can see on screen right now are my Patreon supporters and they are just perfect people. Look at them. Sumji and Jarrah Whedon are especially amazing for being my top paying patrons. Just look at the Triforce coloured names and Triforce font. Thank you so much for the support guys. If you'd like to join me then you can do for as little as £1 or $1.50 a month. The link to my Patreon is in the description, along with that link is the link to the rest of my media platforms as well, so follow me on them to keep in touch with me. Now thank you for listening to that episode. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. And don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, of course. There's loads of Zelda content waiting for you. Just search Triforce Trends. Thank you for listening.